I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, good to be Hi-o. here. How you doing, yeah, honey? Really. You know, Woo! The audience was a, the audience was a little sleepy on that one, but they Just finally woke bit. up. <laughs> Listen, I don't want I don't want to talk about any specifics or details, but I'm a little emotional right now for yes. reasons that you know. And I wanted to talk about this. Some is that okay with you? If we talk about well, a little bit? Well, we have actually discussed this in a previous podcast. The difficulty of creating under strain, the difficulty of me having COVID. You had to come in and really pinch hit and come up with a couple ideas. Well, not only that, but the idea that I really wanted, our agents warned us not to pitch. For yeah. reasons, for various reasons. Although our guest today may end up giving that original idea home. But, <laughs> but <laughs> well, who knows? Under under pressure, I had two weeks and I came up with two more ideas. And I have to admit, I was a little angry. 
Yeah, you sure. know, it was a little bit of, how dare you tell me that I can't do that? So there was a little bit of, I'll show you going on. And I came up with two ideas based on old movies that are in the catalog of the of the studio that we're talking okay, now. about. Okay, now. I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> we pitched them. And what we just found out from our agent is that the company wants both of them. They want to. They want to go to the next step. Start, start just to discuss it. We haven't been through this part of the process. Pairing us with a producer, which yeah, you know, it, that's it, how you know they're serious. It's it's a little overwhelmed, a little verklempt. We know? literally just got this call like thirty minutes before the yeah, broadcast. Yeah, I was literally so. taking a nap, and Tanara <laughs> woke me up saying, "You know, APA is on the phone." So, yay! It's, it's that yeah, it's it's definitely more applause it. just for that because we that's have to right. celebrate all the victories. You know, it's just you like got we. To. Yes, so there we go. Eventually, the applause will start. There it is. What's with the lag? Oh my gosh! You yeah, know. you know, you get better applause when we're playing golf and get a or birdie. Virtual mini golf. Yeah, virtual mini golf. Yes. So it's just that protecting yourself from the ups and downs and recognizing this. We're on a roller coaster, you know. And there are times when we've been really short on money, and there are other times when we've been absolutely flush. But through it all, what I say to myself is, you know, it's a super chicken world. I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. You know, I knew that I that I was heading for instability. But the ability to create art, to create stories, to communicate with friends I've never met, to get my my ideas, my thoughts out into the world, to create images that I have not seen, it's worth it. I mean, no matter what you spend your life and you hope that it's going to mean something, but at the very least, you can have fun. I've been really fortunate about that. Well, as artists who get to make things up for a living, live in the dream world, basically exercising the same creative muscles we've been exercising since we were kids, literally, right, yeah. is a privilege. And it does come with some hardships. And I used to joke earlier in our marriage, gee, it would have been nice if one of us had a job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now I do have a job. I also teach at UCLA, which I will be doing as long as I possibly can, because I just and like I want that you to do it. stability. I mean, first of all, I also love, love teaching. You. They, they do love, love me. And I love my students. I mean, there's some like Adama Ibo. Her film is about to come out. I know Monkey Paw is one of the, the people supporting it. I think it's called Honk for Jesus. It was a Sundance darling. And she was one of my students at Spelman College. I remember like yesterday, the first day she walked into my office and said she wanted to be a writer. She she My screenwriting class was the first screenwriting class she ever took. I'm not taking credit at all. She's a very, very talented young lady. But just to see those students jumping into the world and claiming their spots. Absolutely. That has so to great. be a lot like Betty Okorafor. Yes. When she came to Clarion and I saw her and we talked and I realized she was my student, but she was already extremely advanced. What skill she had, what poise and grace and intelligence. So watching her go out and, and do things, I'm I'm happy that she passed through my hands, but she was on her way no matter what. Exactly. That's the beautiful part. And I want to give the full title. It's Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. The director is Adama Ibo, and woo, it's coming out soon. So so look out Fantastic. for that. One of well, our students. You know, I, I just, you know, how are you doing, sweetheart? You had, you know, COVID back back a while, and, you know, you're, you're, you seem to be coming back. This is the first week, especially post-Comic-Con. We did a Comic-Con, let's not forget. That's true. Oh, 
Hello, we have comics. You had Eightfold Path, which is right behind you that you're promoting. Yep. And our, I saw for the first time, we saw for the first time, our upcoming graphic you novel, The Keeper. Keeper it is back here on the on the piano. I should go back and hold it up for the camera for the few people who are watching this instead of listening. So let me roll back. You, you talk about what that was like for a second at Comic-Con well, and I'll go just, grab it. They had three different levels of protection. You know, you had to have had your vaccination certificate, you had to have a clear test, and you had to be masked. But, you know, given that, you know, there were still there were still some issues, but we were able to promote and see a copy of The Keeper for the very first time. And, and that is, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, because, and I'm making a prediction that by the time that book comes out in late September, we're going to have a movie deal of some kind on it, because it's just too good, and it's going to allow people to visualize what this story is, which is a grandmother making a deal with a demon to protect her granddaughter. I love the way you summarize it so succinctly. I was listening to an old episode where I I spent about three sentences on that elevator pitch, but you've got it down. And if you listen to the podcast, you know this was born of disappointment because we wrote it as a screenplay first. We got very, very close to achieving a dream. (laughs) And then, and then the studio was like, not so much. And and we were back to square one. So this is new life for this particular project. And I agree with you. You It's going to get picked up. One of these days, it might be useful to talk about the process of creating an elevator pitch, because what you did, when you talk about it, you're talking about it from the position of the little girl Mm -hmm. and her feelings, her abandonment, the terror. So So you're all the way inside that character. Whereas I'm kind of looking at the plot mechanics and I, I tell you that, that I'm a little bit jealous of the way you think about things. And I'm oh, come on now. trying to figure out how to add more of that to my own work, to, to learn from this wonderful example I have sitting right in front of me. Well, back at you in terms of your examples of productivity and being able to come up with a story concept so quickly. We, listen, we could admire each other all day, and often we do, but we have such a terrific guest in our green room. Let's bring him in. I really don't want to keep him waiting. So before we bring him on camera, let's talk about this amazing director we're so lucky to have. First of all, I've never seen a bio like the one at Hudlin Entertainment. (laughs) Reginald Hudlin has the most comprehensive bio that goes all the way back to his ancestry since slavery. Okay? The history after the Underground Railroad. I mean, he is from a very impressive family. And what's even more impressive is not only that he knows that family history, but that he considers their story to be his story. And I love that. I've never seen a bio page like it. So I've just extracted the bits about him. Well, let (laughs) me read the first paragraph here. Sure. Reginald Hudlin is unique in the entertainment business because of his success as a writer, producer, director, and executive. To quote cultural critic Jim Azrael, Hudlin is a modern-day Gordon Parks, a true monster in the game who totally redid the blueprint. What some people used to call a renaissance man. I dig him because he made me think outside of the box. Hudlin writes and directs movies, pins a comic book, and he was running BET. That's multitasking for your ass. And I'm not going to read the 
the paragraph so much to summarize some of the information here, if that's okay, because there's so much. (laughs) We really could spend the whole podcast just talking about this this guest career. So House Party, one of the most profitable films of of its decade, all kinds of great reviews, $100 million, Bebe's Kids, Cosmic Slop, The Space Traders, which I teach every quarter in my Afrofuturism class at UCLA, adapted from a, a short story by the late, great Derek Bell, producer of Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. Uh, do you want to jump in, Steve? So sure, I wrote the Black Panther comic where he created the Carrie of Shuri and went on to write and produce the fantastic animated series on BT with Greg was Jaman Hansu as yes. the voice. It's still available for free. On YouTube, you can look it out. Marshall, starring the late, great Chadwick Boseman as Thurgood Marshall. The Black Godfather documentary on Clarence Avant, which, woo, what a great documentary, especially if you're interested in the music industry. And there's so much, literally more I'm leaving out. I just saw a post on Instagram about Poitiers, which I need to ask Reggie what what that is. And and so much to talk about. Without further ado, our guest, Reginald Hudlin. on his way he's coming in I, hey. I, there he is there you go. hey <laughs> I right know the, the green room is so far down the hall it takes yes. like a long time to <laughs> walk you must be out of breath i took a wrong tour and i was like oh wait what's this anyway <laughs> hey everybody we're so excited to see you Reggie. great to see you steve great to see you tanata reeve two of my favorite people thank you for inviting me well back at you back at you thank you, know, you for doing uh, this this is this, it's so much fun, you know, because you're so you're so casual and personable. It, it's sometimes it, it's it can be a little difficult to remember just how incredibly accomplished you are, because you're just, you know, in terms of when you're interacting with somebody, you're just a guy. You true. Know? And I that that's requires a lot of something. I'm not sure what that is. How have you kind of. You know, navigate it. Why don't we we'll talk a little bit about how you, you know, how you've navigated this territory? Talk about a little bit about your projects you have going on, or anything that you enjoy sharing with us about your life. Sure, that's an interesting question. I, it, it gets referenced a lot. Like, wow, Reggie, why are you like? I went to a, a a conference a couple of weeks ago, and there was a producer there, and he was like, "Oh my God, you're here!" And I'm like, "Well, yeah." And they're like. You're almost too big to be here, Reggie. And he said, you should be insufferable, but you're not. <laughs> and it was a really, I was like, huh? It was like, yeah, because, you know, you've earned the right, you know, to be a terrible person, I guess is what he was saying. But I always feel that success allows you to be who you want to be, right? And I'm not a person who walks around with all this anger, about my childhood and I want to take it out on other people. I mean, that's not my motivation, right? What is uh, your motivation? Well, it's two parts. One is I really do like creating culture, right? I like making movies and TV shows and comic books. That's why you see me and working in all these different mediums because it just looks like fun, right? And yes. Yeah. So like, well, why wouldn't I want to do that? And, you know, some people are like, look, when I established myself in the movie business, people were like, wow, what, what are you doing TV for? That's kind of slumming. And I'm like, no, it's not. TV is where the action is. And they were like, well, we don't get that. And then suddenly TV, it became more obvious to people that TV was yes. 
in fact, the key medium. So then I started doing comic books and they're like, oh my God, now what are you a comic book writer? This is like a joke. We don't get your path. And then comic books became very trendy and people were like, well, how did you know? I was like, well, because I just love comic books and I always have. It wasn't me putting my finger in the wind and figuring out where the trends were. It was just me being honest about what I loved and pursuing my passions. Well, That's, you know, it, I, I've got to ask a question then. What is the passion you're pursuing right now that people right now are saying, that's no, that's nothing, because my suspicion would be that we should bet on you. You're the horse <laughs> to bet on. So, so what, I mean, is it VR? Is it, you know... Podcast? Sort of, Come on, I, you know it's yeah, something in there. <laughs> what is it that's up next for Reggie that we can all invest in as <laughs> a growth stock? <laughs> well, it's a penny stock, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I think success comes from one's individual passion, right? Meaning sometimes I see projects or opportunities and I go, that's a great opportunity, but it's not for me, right? Because when I look at my the projects that I've done that haven't worked, usually what they have in common is that I was making the smart move, right? And it was, yeah, it could be smart, but if it's not your thing, then... You're not going to do 110%, right? It's not the smart move. It's the heart move. Right. Following the heart is the key is what you're saying. It's like, what? make sure little kid happy. Right. And conversely, things that don't make sense to people, but are, you know, what I super care about. You know, again, I put that 110% in and suddenly it is successful on one level or another, right? And you go, oh, well, that's because you can feel, I think people feel enthusiasm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? They I do. think that conveys. So, so yeah, I mean, so that's, so I tell people, it's not that I'm above selling out, it's that it doesn't work for me, right? Mm-hmm. And right. it makes choosing easy because you just go, well, if I care about it, I'll do it. If I don't care about it, I, I won't do it because what I won't succeed at it. beautiful place to come to in life. Yes. If you're literally at a place right now where you can simply follow your passion and things work, that is virtually manifestation. That's almost an act of magic, an act of will. And that is, isn't that what everybody wants? You just follow their passion and make good money? Right. I mean, and that comes from discipline and hard work and all that stuff, right? It's the, you know, the 10,000 hours. Yes. You know, that we all. So you have to be good at your craft. You have to. I look, I care about connecting to an audience. You know, some people don't. They're like, you know, but I'm like, no, no, no. I actually want people to know and appreciate these ideas, right? So, it, it, you know, the you know the ability to translate personal passion and say, look, I know if I like it, I think other people will like it, but what's the way to it, for it to connect with the most amount of people? Right. Right. So that's the alchemy that is, you know, a really tricky part. And it can be like, are you doing it in the right medium or did you put together the right package? Did you tell the story in the most compelling way? And and that's a lifetime of learning. That's not like, oh, I got it. And like every year I go, oh, I'm better now. Mm. Well, Reggie, I, I have to say that we have a project in common. When I made my usual vow this past December that I was not going to take on any new projects, <laughs> I heard from you 
And you were working on this beautiful comic here called Milestones in History. And it was such a great concept, little mini stories about historical under told stories about people of African descent and history from Hannibal the Conqueror to Alexander Dumas to Prince to just all these great stories and and you asked so what's he, wasn't it fun watching the the Count of Monte Cristo yesterday <gasps> yes and realizing what it was really about right so I had like, and oh I, my and god I had to... mind blown <laughs> all right so so I, I hope you don't mind me hogging this Steve or at least in the beginning because no go uh, for it my heart is so full just reliving this with you Reggie because I was like okay I don't know who would I write about you made the suggestion Alexander Dumas and my heart lit up because when I was a kid, one of the things that our parents did, especially my late mother, Patricia Stevens, do is she would give us these Black history comic books. That's how I heard about Black cowboys. Would not have known there were Black cowboys. <laughs> Literally would not have known if not for these comics. One of them was about Alexander Dumas. And I always like for the rest of my life, I was thinking, ah, well, people don't even know. He was black, you know, and to have the opportunity. And I didn't even know about the fact that his father was a general who served under Napoleon and got screwed over by Napoleon. And I didn't even know that his son was a playwright and that the three of them, I'm like, what an incredible story. And to I, I literally dove into two huge research books to write eight pages, right? <laughs> I tried to distill it down to eight pages, but Steve is so right because I have to confess I had never read The Count of Monte Cristo, even up to writing the comic. I had never even seen The Count of Monte Cristo. So to see the story and realize that this is a son's love letter to his father. This is the, the hero he saw in his eyes. He was a great swordsman, a great rider, a great one-on-one fighter who was screwed over by Napoleon, <laughs> just like in the movie, and gets to have that fantasy ending that the real-life General Dumas did not have. Just the love dripping in that story just brings it all alive for me. So thank you I, so one, much. One of the things I want to mention here is that we're, we're touching on something that has to do with mastery. That when you find something that there seems to be a market, it seems to kind of, you know, your head says, this, this could work. And your heart says, I, I would love this. Th- doing this would be a gift to, to my family, my, my community, to, to the child that I was. When you can find, and then that, that way your physical energy then gets behind the work, which is using your emotions to boil the water that turns the turbine, that, that makes something happen. That you've got your mind, your heart, and your body all aligned because you Ask yourself, I'm already talking about what does his heart wants to do. I'm going to suggest that his head, the business part of his head, is at unconscious competence. He he knows how to how to how to navigate those waters. Lots of people know how to navigate those waters, but how many people can do it with both success and joy? Most artists, you know, most artists don't have both those things. Now my story in there was, you know, he suggested Hannibal because years ago at BET, we had worked together with Vin Diesel to, to bring a, a Hannibal animated series and things did not work out, but all the research and the time and the energy. So when he said, would you like to do this? My only question was, can I boil down what I know into one incident 
told in the right way that would enable me to say what it is I want to say, I didn't have to go back and do the research. It's like he was giving me a chance to take my passion, the thing that made me love the the whole project in the first place, and I had a chance to share it with the public, which I did not have a chance to do at BT. So nothing was wasted. So in a very real sense, although it was, you know, on one sense it was business and we're doing this and thanks for the opportunity, it was also a gift from Reggie. Here, I'm going to give you a chance to express your passion to the audience. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. And we're so doing. It, go ahead. We're doing all the talking, Reggie. But I just we just you can see we're very grateful. We want to thank you. We, we love this project. Talk about Milestone Media. Talk about how this project came about and the partnership with D.C. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Sure. Well, it, it, you know, it's it's really striking that you mentioned reading Black history comics, and that's how you knew I was going to do Marvel Black. Because I had the same experience, right? And there was this line of books from my childhood called Golden Legacy. And yes, were that was small, it. Small self-published outfit. They were sponsored by Coca-Cola, and <clears throat> they didn't have very wide distribution. But whoever read those books were transformed. Mm-hmm. And the three founders of Milestone Media, Dennis Cowan, Derek Dingle, right? When we were talking, when we met, we all realized we had that golden legacy thing in common that those books impacted us in a really major way. They did. And and like you said, the learning about the Dumas family, you know, that Golden Legacy book, I feel like was the only place you could find out that he was Black for like 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, so so when when Dennis and I got together, me, Dennis, and Derek Dingle to relaunch Milestone Media, 
which they had originally created in the 90s because they were, you know, successful people working in the comic book business. And they were like, we should come together, form our own company, create a line of black superhero characters, people of color, which they did. It was successful. Then, you know, there were ships in the marketplace and, you know, struggles with DC. And in fact, I'm so glad we're talking about this because there's a documentary we just did that's going to be running on HBO Max called Milestone Generations, which tells the origin story of Milestone Media. Holy cow. Oh yeah. my that's great. It, 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 yeah, it starts on 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 tomorrow. It won't be tomorrow by the time people hear this, but it'll be July 29th. So it's folks, out. go to HBO Match, watch this hour-long documentary that tells the story of the rise, fall, and and, and resurrection of a great black business. Great. So great. there's that story. And they had actually invited me to join the company back then. And I had just started my movie career and I thought. Maybe I should get good at my day job before I start branching out, <laughs> which was a, a decision I re- later regretted. So then, when very tragically, Dwayne McDuffie passed away, mm, yeah, the you know Derek and Dennis came to me and said, "Look, we need to relaunch this company, and you know we want you to step in and let's do this." And I was like, "Of course, let's go." And you know, so we're relaunching the original characters like Static Shock and yes. where and yes. I kind of rock it. And it's just so much fun to do this. Reggie, uh, I have to interrupt you for a second. Our son, Jason, who just graduated from high school, was dressed as Static Shock for Comic-Con. It matters. <laughs> that representation yes. matters. Being see yourself matters. Absolutely. So... But, you know, talking with Dennis, I said, man, we got to we got to do we got to do the books that transformed us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we got to do you know, we have to do our our own version of black history books. And we came up with a couple of rules. One was we're not going to do the obvious characters. We're not going to do Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do Martin Luther King. We're not going to do Malcolm X. Not that those people aren't titans, but. What about all the other great stories that don't get told? Right. So let's let's focus. Let's go do some deep cuts. Right. And for me, you know, as a person who when my children were in elementary school, they would ask, Reggie, will you put together a Black History Month presentation? And I saw what other parents had done before. And it was well-intentioned, but didn't work. You know, mm-hmm. they would do it starting with slavery. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> we've got a few thousand years of success before we get to that. Uh, <laughs> so so I would start by telling people that humanity started in Africa. And so everyone in this room, you could say is African. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, now everyone say it, I am African. So this room of predominantly white kids, we go, I'm African. And, you know, so I figured, let's just start there. So I wanted to do the equivalent of that uh, with Milestones milestones in History. So we start with Lucy, who's the okay. old of Gorge. Yes, let's yes. Do it. yes. Let's do it. Let's start with the beginning of humanity and yes. let, let's build from there. And, you know, that, when people read that story, they go, oh, well, first of all, they didn't know, they may know the name Lucy, but they don't know all the details, right? And the writer, Alice Randall, who is another magnificent mind like you guys, 
she just plunged in and really, you know, played it out, right? And so when people go, oh, this is not <clears throat> the usual Black History Month situation. Like, <laughs> we just went to a whole different place, <laughs> right? So boom. And then, you know, we do, you know, the Queen of Sheba, you know, and people yes. are like, hey, the Black Jewish princess, right? Who is a presence in, you know, every major religion culture of that time. She's an important figure. And they go, oh, and then bam, we hit it with Hannibal. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you're a kid who grew up reading Conan the Barbarian, when you read Hannibal, you go, oh, yeah, well, forget Conan. I mean, Hannibal's the real Bill. And, you know, it's just, and, you know, and I was so glad you you did the Dumas family because they're so important. And there was just such a trigger for me. And I remember reading Django Unchained and Quentin had, you know, put that reference of Alexander Dumas being black into the script. And it was like, I didn't tell him that. He did it on his own. But I'm like, that's why you're my man. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. You know, and it told, it's just important moments in history that people need to know. And when people read the book, they're like, oh, oh, oh. And, you know, that's a book that we're, you know, that Fort was a real success. And we're going to keep pumping it because that's not just for Black History Month. That's not just for Juneteenth. That's anytime, anywhere. Yes. You know, this book will transform a generation the way those books transformed us. Wonderful. I agree. I absolutely agree Wonderful. with you. Could not agree more. And congratulations. It's such a beautiful volume and I'm glad it's doing well. And yes, I can't wait for that first group signing. So let's, let's, let's make it happen. Oh, yeah, no, we're going we're to get everybody together because it's just, I get, and that's, and that, that's the other part of it being, you know, a great moment in black history, all these amazing writers and artists coming together on this one project. You know, you know, there's, you know, folks like yourself or Alice Randall who are best-selling authors, but then there's Karen Parsons, who people know from the Fresh Prince TV show, but they don't know she's a very successful children's writer. And that, and that, you know, and when I called her, she was like, really, Reggie? I'm like, yeah, I I know, I know who you really are. I I don't just have, I I know more than the, the obvious dimension of who you are. And God, when I got her script for Catherine Dunham, who was a really pivotal person in, you know, our whole family's life, you know, my, not just me and my brother and my brothers and, and, and my, my mom. And, you know, she just changed people. And again, these are lives that are too big. I mean, they really deserve graphic novels in themselves. True. But I said, look, we're going to do these little stories. These are going to be teasers. And, you know, in success, we'll take some of these stories and expand them into bigger That's versions. Good. That is so great. But let's just let's just get it going. Let's just try it. Well, speaking of people who are larger than life, Reggie, you are this is kind of an awkward transition, but I don't care. (laughs) Larger than life. You are one of the architects of the Black Arts Renaissance in the 90s, especially with the the release of Boomerang, starring Eddie Murphy, a great role where the world is seeing Halle Berry, a lot of people for the first time. And it is now about to celebrate its <clears throat> anniversary. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Real baby, I'm not ashamed. It is what it is. But talk and, to us a little bit about that movie, its genesis, its production, and the way it was received. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, I had just done my first movie, House Party, 
uh, which was a breakout success, as you said, one of the most successful movies of that decade. And, you know, and we made many multiples. We made 10 times our money back. And, you know, you get a phone call. And Eddie Murphy saw the movie, really liked the movie, said, oh, you guys know how to tell a joke. Let's figure out something together. And we kept throwing ideas back and forth for a while. And then I guess sent the script. And I, I just love, like, this is what we need. Because mm-hmm. I'm not interested in doing what's been done. There's all this uncovered territory, all these stories that hadn't been told. And there needed to be the Black romantic yes. professionals who were elegant and classy and smart and cool and had swagger and had all those things. Because so often, if there were Black professionals in movies, they were cornballs. And, you know, you could either be cool or you could be successful. But you rarely saw cool Black successful. And I thought, well, that's a that's a false choice. And I see it in the real world all the time. I was living in New York, working with Black ad agencies. I knew, you know, these. I, I grew up reading Ebony Magazine. I knew about the Johnson Publications building, you know, on the Chicago's Gold Coast. It's like, wait, come on. Uh, so let's let's tell the story of those folks and their friends and their lives and their loves. And Eddie was really with it. He loved all of it. And we had an extraordinary experience making the movie. It was just joy every day. We had so much fun. And the movie was incredibly successful. It was a huge hit. Uh, huge hit. A huge and, hit. And... Again, this is when you know you're succeeding, right? Because there were a couple of reviews that called the movie a science fiction movie uh, because they had never seen Black people like this, right? And they clearly didn't know any Black people like this. So they were just like, well, what is this? You're just making up, you know, some fantasy of how you want Black people to live as opposed to going, finally, you're showing you know, other sides of black life. So that's when you know you've made a difference, right? Amazing. Amazing the ignorance. You you poke the right bears. I kind of expected that there would be more movies, such movies, and I expected, how do I put this? I expected Eddie Murphy's career to take a different trajectory than it did. And Mm -hmm. is there, are there comments to be shared publicly about these things? Yeah. Look, I I, I mean, I, I can't speak to, I mean, look, I, I can, look, I think, I, I think the industry looked at Boomerang and they were just like, this made us uncomfortable. Hmm. Right. I don't know that, but I feel that, you know, and I think, I mean, again, you know, we're now at a different time where people who grew up on Boomerang are now studio executives. Yeah. Right. Right. Black and white. Right. And they have a different perspective on the movie than the moment. Right. So now people are like, wow, can, you know, <laughs> how can we get that kind of, but you know, that's a very recent moment. I mean, it's, it's re- really the last five years, I would say, that oh, they, yeah. the real shift in terms Isn't of. Isn't it amazing? And, and let's talk about that a little bit well, well, before. That- that last five years before we go to the five years if you don't mind i just want to also point out that what happened with boomerang was kind of emblematic of a lot of these films that you would have thought would have started a trend in the 90s right like rusty condiff tales from the hood in terms of horror ease by you in terms of horror devil in a blue dress a mystery black hat 
fear of, I mean, there were so many. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, all that is solid melts into air, right? So you just hammer your head against the wall. Bam, bam, bam. I'm not giving up. Bam, bam, bam. And your fists are bloody. Bam, bam, bam. But whatever. There's nothing to do but to do, right? And I'm going to keep hammering this wall. And my son and daughter will hammer this wall after I drop. And that's what we're going to do. And all of a sudden you go, and it's gone. And the wall is gone. What happened to the wall, Reggie? What happened to it? Where'd it go? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and then all of a sudden there's a sea change. And, and, and and now you have to adjust to success. Hmm. Well, well, what do you think? I always talk about the one-two punch that was Get Out and Black Panther, and maybe that's an oversimplification, but that sure does seem on the cinema side to be what really no, put some no, dents in that It does feel like wall. Hollywood shifted, that they now, they're in a position of kind of having awakened from, from 400 years of seeing us one way, <laughs> now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, is that accurate? And Does there really seem to be a shift from your perspective? You've been in this game a while. Yeah, there's absolutely a shift. And, you know, here's the thing. It's it's grains of sand, right? And <laughs> finally, the, finally, the, and then it goes, yeah. and wait, but what about the other five sands before that? Like, well, we needed all those sand. We needed every grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, to be <laughs> really honest with you, when I wrote my first solo novel called Street Lethal, mm-hmm. and they put a, it was the, the character was described as being as dark as a Zulu, and they put a white guy on the cover, and it broke my heart. You know, nobody at the company would take responsibility for having done it, and I had a chance to sit back and say, "How am I going to deal with this emotionally?" And I decided that it was systemic, that it wasn't any one person's responsibility, and that I took a look at the curve of social change, and I figured it could take a generation and a half to for the world to change enough for me to be able to tell the kind of stories I want to change, I, I want to tell. And be able to have the kind of success that I want. And the question was, can I survive that long? How do I keep my heart alive long enough and my enthusiasm going long enough so that when the doors open, there is enough left of me to walk through with pride and power and joy at life? So I'm not eaten up with hatred and resentment and fear. It's taken everything I have, all the you know hypnosis and martial arts and all that stuff was about how do I protect my heart and the little boy inside me? I see the little boy inside you very clearly. How did you survive? How'd you do it, Reggie? <laughs> well, fortunately, so much of it was done to me by having incredible parents who, I mean, that's why I, I forgot that I did that in the Bible on the website, but I put the legacy in there, right? Yes. Because, you know, my parents, you know, were both, well-educated, you know, have extraordinary moral compasses. They had incredible work discipline. They gave us just, you know, love, all the love you, you could want, and, and were dedicated to the community. And I knew that the two of them were not singular, that they came from a long line of people like that, right? So <clears throat> despite the fact that I'm growing up in East St. Louis, right, which is you know, predominantly all black city, you know, incredibly economically depressed, you know, failure factory school system, all this negativity. 
But in my house, my core programming was we are winners and we can do this. So that enabled me to process. And I go, well, look, on one hand, we live in an all black town. There's a black chief. uh, There's a black police chief, the black mayor. There's a black, you know, you know, head of everything. Right. They're running it badly, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could be good. Right. So how do you make it good? And, you know, me and my friend, I mean, I, I, when I talk to people who are from similar circumstances who somehow get the escape velocity to get out, right? We all have this tobacco road fantasy, right? We're going to come back. We're going to tear the town down. We're going to rebuild it and make some kind of utopian environment, right? I mean, it's, it's the, the, the dream of Wakanda, mm-hmm. right? So that's in my head from a very early age, like, we, we, you don't don't have to accept any of it, right? Well, the, the, one of the things that's interesting is that you're so obviously aware racially, but at the same time, I have seen you in public and seen the way everybody reacts to you and mm-hmm. the way you react to them. And you react with genuine warmth and, and, and genuine openness even to people who are of the group that was problematic in certain other ways. So you see their humanity. You did not let the fact that other people did not see your humanity poison you against seeing theirs. Was that from your parents too? Yes, because, I mean, they were just, I mean, look, we grew up in a very political household, right? Where my brother had, you know, I remember my brother and his friends wanted to drive up to Chicago for me to St. Louis and join the Panthers. And... My father said, or you can stay in your room all weekend. <laughs> Is this Warrington? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was the weekend that Fred Hampton was assassinated. Oh, shoot. Ouch. Wow. And my father was a part of every organization in the city, you know, junior achievement to teach kids business and, you know, the Kiwanis and the whatever, right? I mean, so. You know, being civic-minded was, well, of course. Of course you are, right? And I would see them deal with white people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when, the, when the roof of my high school, of my grade school collapsed, right? And my mother said, great, we're going to send you to the fancy private school that's 40 minutes away, and we're going to get you there. We're going to figure out a way to get you there every morning. So you've got to wake up an hour early to get to school and da-da-da. So I, you know, at a very early age, I was dealing with all kinds of people, different racial backgrounds, different class backgrounds. And, you know, my thing was, you know, I demand to be treated as a human, and I see you as a human, you know? And that was, and that's not a simple thing. That's not a switch. That's a process that evolves over time. And I really give my wife a lot of credit because she really is, has one of the healthiest mindsets I've ever seen in terms of dealing with anybody as a peer, not being intimidated by them, not being preemptively angry at them, not being worshipful of them. Right. Because there's all kind of traps you can you can fall into when it comes to, you know, multiracial dynamics. 
mm-hmm. and to be like, no, 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 no. I am who I am and I have great confidence in who I am and you are in who you are and we're just going to deal with each other as people and we're, and I'm going to establish the tone of how we engage with each other. Tell me a little bit about how did you meet your wife? It was a blind date. Oh, great. Uh, I was working on a movie and one of the executives, uh, Matt Walden, was just a great guy. We just had a great time working together. And again, you know, the studio exec and the and the creator, he said, well, isn't that always a conflict? No, it's not. You know, sometimes you just go, oh, wow, you really get what I'm trying to do. And we're having a great time building this thing together. Right. And finally, he goes, you know, you should meet my wife's best friend. I'm telling you, she's something. I'm like, okay, let's see. And then we met, and that was kind of it. Fantastic. Almost immediately. Yeah, and I mean, you know, because she was skeptical. Like, oh, I've heard about those guys. They're corny. Which, mm-hmm. in fact, I am corny. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we just clicked. And, 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 and it's, you know, now we're... 20 years and, you know, two teenagers later. Look at that. I was about to ask about the family part, you know, I because I would think that there's so much that happens in Hollywood that can throw people off their game, not just in terms of career, but just in terms of who they are, like they lose the compass. How, how would you say that your family has grounded you or have they grounded you, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, no, we, we, I'll tell you, you know, we had a whole thing the other day, because there was a movie I had been an executive producer on, and there was a screening of the movie. I'm like, come on, guys, let's all go see the movie. And they were like, Dad. I'm like, I have a movie. There's a movie. There's a movie with my name on it. And you don't even want to go see it. And they said, Dad, you make too many things. We can't keep up with everything you make. We can't see it all. That's how it is. It's humbling. And, and, and that hit me on a lot of levels, right? I mean, oh, I, wow. Because I'm always like, am I being productive, right? Am I doing enough? And they were like, yeah, it's it's too much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I, they should see more. And they, I finally did drag them. They saw it. They liked it. But it just hit me, wow, I make a lot of things, right? Yeah, you do. And a little bit about that you are a, a creative volcano in that sense which means that you don't you your breaks are off have they always been off have you always had that kind of access to your creativity or do you do you do things to develop it yeah i've always been sort of had a lot of ideas a lot of drive and you know and there was just so much time wasted fighting to get doors open, to climb over walls, to dig tunnels. And you just go, God. And then when, you know, as success, and and again, and, and I made things harder for myself in that I, you know, the smarter thing to do is to find a genre that you're good at and stick to it. Mm. Right. And I have not done that. So I'll do a teen comedy like House Party. Then I'll do a, an adult romantic comedy like Boomerang. And then I'll do a drama like Marshall. And then I'll do a documentary. Science like fiction, Com- Cosmic Slop. Yeah. <laughs> right, then I do fiction. So people are like, well, who? And then I became an executive. And then, I, you know, so they said, well, who? And then you, I put on concerts and I write comic books. And they're like, well, who are you? Like, you, you are hard to understand who you are and how to brand you and 
Should, you know, well, what do we go to you for? And finally, it's starting to occur to people like, oh, you could actually do anything and everything. So like, we get your category, which is all of it. But it's taken a long time to kind of get that message so people can get it. And it's still, it's hard for people to get. But it was you're, the only... You're, uh, you're an, a category of one. You are Reggie. And right. Reggie, you know, you go to Reggie for creativity and, and excellence, you know. And I, my, my suspicion is there isn't a whole lot of drama around your work. No, I think, mean, well, you know, because that's not productive. You know, I, you try to be in supportive environments where people, oh, we get what you're trying to do. Yeah, which, you know, we, we, let's all be additive toward this goal, right? Do you have a crew? I mean, you have people that you work with, you know, again and again and again? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean... What kind of person uh, do you look for? What does it take to to be the kind of person that Reggie Hudlin works, looks to work with? Well, I mean, I look for expertise, you know, and I look for people who live in different worlds. And they don't have to be the same multiple worlds I live in. But the experience of living in multiple worlds gives you a commonality of like, you know what it's like when you, you know, you're from here and then you go here and then you live here and you like all those things and you take your food and mix it together. Like if you're like, no, 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 no. I, you know, I, I, I don't like that. I don't like my food touching. I don't like trying new things. Then you're probably, you know, I can work with you if you're the right person for that particular job. But that's different from saying this is I, I like that. Right. Well, in terms of your the vast number of creative projects you're involved in, I know it's like, does it appeal to that creative little kid in you? But would you say there's a through line, like even if they seem like they're kind of random and not connected, what's the creative through line that connects everything that Reggie Hudlin wants to do? Well, look, I, I, I love Black culture and usually what I'm doing is supportive and is celebratory of black culture. Mm-hmm. I like winning. I, you know, I'm usually if, you know, if I make something, there's going to be a happy ending, not in a contrived way, but in an earned way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my heart of hearts, I'm probably a propagandist, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. So what's got- the message? What's the, if you're a propagandist, what is the message that you want to, to get out there? Well, it's different say? things at different times. I mean, it's 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 okay. basically celebrating Black humanity. Okay. Right. 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 We need propagandists because Lord knows the propaganda going the other way is, is and, 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 strong. And, 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 <laughs> I mean, look, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I remember when I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm like, that's magnificent, right? And there's that legendary scene when the guy pulls out this sword and does the fancy, you know, with, you know, this guy represents, you know, hundreds of years of culture, right? And, and, you know, and the brilliant thing, he, he, had, he caught a cold. It wasn't even scripted, right? He said, look, can I just pull up my gun and just shoot this guy? And it was the most brilliant scene because it just said, look, this is the West. That's great, but whatever. Pow, I'm going to shoot you and turn around and keep it moving. And I thought, oh, can I do that? Can I take that style and that technique and that accessibility and fun? With what I want to say, if I can do that, I will have done something. 
wonderful. Fantastic. Oh, my God. That, that line right there, you got to have to pull that one out to advertise the podcast. It's just great. I mean, I, I just feel like you're so obviously not just a trailblazer, but you're leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for others to follow. You're giving opportunities for others. And in conversations like this, you're discussing your mental syntax and beliefs and values of things that have kept you alive. Because I know, I remember one of the very first autograph things I ever had. Mm-hmm. An older writer came in and he gave me his business card and it said, Freelance Hack and Literary Mechanic. And he was dead of alcoholism within a year or so. I mean, you you have to respect yourself. You have to respect the work. You have to find some way to keep the joy inside yes. you alive. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why I felt like you'd be a perfect guest for what you're doing. What, what are the messages, if you're talking to a young artist who wanted to walk your path, and they have the usual problems and resistance and so forth and so on, but they've got still that fire competitive. inside them. Yeah, it's what, very competitive. What would you say to that person? Well, I mean, the thing is, it's it's <clears throat> every year I tell my wife, I go, well, you know, I really feel like I feel like I figured out the business, and she goes, you say that every year. I go, every year I learn a little more, right? <laughs> and it's so it's not it's not how do I reach the goal? It's like how do I have a successful journey, right? And, and look, it's so much, but it's personal, right? Are you the person who just beats on, beats up on themselves all the time? Don't do that. Are you a person who externalizes all blame and takes no responsibility? Well, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. Right? So you got to work through those things. You just got to really take joy in your job. And if you don't enjoy your job, maybe you got the wrong job, you know? So like figure out. So true. You know, I mean, I love creating and I don't mind the work part of it because the, you know, the upside is so pleasurable to me. So, I mean, some of it is just human stuff. And, and again, it just, I don't know. I mean, it's, again, I now look at young people and I go, wow, these people are really free and they really, they don't take any mess. And, you know, we had to take a certain amount of mess, right? So I need to adjust myself to the environment today. At the same time, sometimes I I go, why are y'all so sensitive? Why don't y'all just man up and just push past that? Why, why are your feelings hurt? You know, so mm-hmm. I, you know, it's so much of it is a personal journey based on who that person is, where they're starting from, and where they're going. See, I can um, tell you why their feelings are hurt because they define themselves based on other people's opinions of them. You mm-hmm. do not. Right. You define, you know, your parents gave you your definition and you have fanned that flame until you know who Reggie is and what somebody else thinks about it doesn't seem to matter that much. Right. And and Reggie, I, I want to ask you as we as we move toward wrapping what uh, an amazing conversation with you. I know it'll be hard to pick one thing, but what stands out to you as the thing that you are most proud of bringing into the world? Is there one thing? Or is it everything that every new thing is that thing? <laughs> well, the, these kids are pretty cool. I mean, they're still, you know, being baked. But <laughs> like, I look at them like, woo, I hope y'all are ready. <laughs> for oh, the, that's great. <laughs> you're, you're teenagers? Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty, it's pretty exciting. Well, let me ask you a question about that. In your opinion, what is the primary job of a parent? I, I, I came up with this definition of parenthood a while ago, right? It's like, and I feel like this is what my parents did. And I feel like I'm doing it for my kids, right? You have a child, right? 
and there's a wall and you can't see over the wall. You've never been over the wall. You don't, you don't know what's there. Right. So you take your child, right. You take you know, this infant, you give them a knife and you give them a map and you give them a compass and you give them some food, whatever you think they need. And you go, don't come back. And you throw them over that wall. Wow. Yes. Okay. Wow. That is definitely a definition. <laughs> Whoa. Would you say that that informs your parental decisions? Yes. Because here's the thing. There's no way my parents could have imagined my life. Right. My life is insane. Right. Right. But they gave you the basic tools. They gave me everything I needed for this life without knowing what it would be. Wow. I love that. I've never heard anybody put it quite like that. And I think that that's exquisite. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thought. And also making it up as we go along and all we can do is pray and do the best that we can and hope that we've given them the basic tools that they'll use to build their world. Right. Wow. Whatever that is. I mean, because it's like, my kids, they've got, I mean, like where they're starting is so amazing. And I'm like, and I'm like, wow, okay, well, where are you going? I can't imagine where they're going, right? I mean, and so I'm like, yo, here's some rocket fuel. I mean, yeah, you might need oxygen. Here's how you make rocket fuel. And here's Lift you know, off. you right. give them the supplies and you tell them how to get the supplies, and hopefully they'll figure out how to recombine these things into shapes and forms and functions we haven't even dreamed of. Right. But the That's point is go <laughs> well this is this is incredible reggie you have been an amazing guest creatives you have gotten some not just pearls of wisdom huge huge That's huge whole necklace gemstones <laughs> of wisdom from this creative person that idea of gratitude that idea of lineage and legacy how to keep centered in the storm This is all very important stuff. We talk about all of these things in our Life Writing Premium course. Life Writing Premium is one of the sponsors of our podcast. We now have a spot. We now have other sponsors. We just got on a new platform or actually soon after this airs, we will be on our new platform. So I'm not announcing it yet. But Life Writing Premium. If you like this kind of conversation, if you like this kind of inquiry into the structure of creativity and writing and and staying sane and, you know, creating legacy and overcoming obstacles and keeping your soul, please go to lifewritingpremium.com because it's a year-long program and every week we have conversations with you via via email and YouTube videos and a, a social media presence on a group on Facebook. We care about creative artists. We want you to succeed. We are trying to leave, Be I'm trying to be, be Reggie when I grow up and leave a trail of breadcrumbs for other people. Every time we learn anything, we immediately turn around and teach it. I know that's right. <laughs> so lifewritingpremium.com, please check us out. Hopefully you can tell from these conversations that we love this life and we just want you to have the very best ex- creative experience possible. Reggie, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. You were incredible. And everybody go out. Hey, if you're not inspired to write a sentence a day by that, I don't know what will inspire you. Go write your sentence a day. Make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much.
Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.